This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Judita, the world's cutest, most precious piglet. Long live Judita, and may no harm ever come to her. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a vampire week on Pod Cemetery with 1972's The Night Stalker and 2013's Afflicted. But before we get into the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. In Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Oh, just happened to have that in the pile, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is Jamie Lloyd's relation to Michael? Well, it depends on... Ah, uh, she's his niece. Yes. <laughs> she is his niece. All right, Kelsey. An interview with a vampire. What is Lestat's full name? Okay, you're doing a movie we haven't done on the show. Uh-huh, but you love this movie, Kelsey. I do love this movie. I knew this one was going to be hard. Don't worry, the next one's pretty easy. I do not know his name. It is Lestat de Lioncourt. De Lioncourt. All right. There's also Louis de Pont du Lac. Queen Akasha. <laughs> sure. Marius de Romanus. Yeah, they got all these weird sort of French names. All right, Kelsey, that will lead us into our first vampire movie, 1972's The Night Stalker, a made-for-television movie on ABC, directed by John Llewellyn Moxie and written by Richard Matheson and Jeffrey Grant Rice, starring Darren McGavin, Carol Lindley, Simon Oakland, Ralph Meeker, and Barry Atwater. Darren McGavin, of course, is the father from A Christmas Story, The Old Man. Uh, Richard Matheson, that name might sound familiar to you. He wrote I Am Legend. Uh, he wrote Duel, Spielberg's first f- film. And he wrote Hell House, the novel that is the source of The Legend of Hell House. And A Stir of Echoes, the novel the movie is based on. Wow, okay. <laughs> yes. Matheson wrote the screenplay, or rather the teleplay, because it's a TV movie. Uh, but... Jeffrey Rice, Jeff Rice, is the one who wrote the novel that this is based on called The Kolchak Tapes or The Kolchak Papers, uh, which wasn't even published at the time that this was made. Also, uh, an additional little actor tidbit is that Simon Oakland, the guy who plays the editor in this movie, is the psychologist from Psycho. So if you, it's really bothering you, why do I know him? That's why. He's at the very end of Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> What is The Night Stalker about, Kelsey? It's a noir film about a journalist who pretty much turns into a detective and is searching for a vampire on the loose. That's right. It is not available for streaming anywhere because TV movies tend to do that. But also, like what TV movies tend to do, it's just available on YouTube. (laughs) There are different uploads of varying quality 
just find the one that you like the best. It's up there. I was really excited because when I when I hear Night Stalker, I think of, of course, two things, right? There's Richard Ramirez, who was a serial killer in the 80s, so well before this took place. And there's Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which is a TV series from the 70s that I watched with my buddy Lou way, way, way back when, like probably almost 20 years ago now, which, of course, the movie being from the 70s or the series being from the 70s, it's it's like 45 years old at this point. But I didn't connect those two things, really. I wasn't like it didn't occur to me that we might be watching the movie that started the TV series. And yes, it absolutely is. So I'm very, very excited that we get to talk about this now. Should people watch The Night Stalker? Look, it's a TV movie. But for being a TV movie, it's expertly made. Yeah. It is so well done that it's surprising that it was made for TV. Yeah. But the funny thing is, if it had been a regular movie, I would be like, eh, you know, it could have been better. It's a yes. little long. It's we a little We would have held slow. it to a higher standard. But being a TV movie, it's it's outstanding. Yeah. And I think it's well done, and it's a fun little vampire movie. And I like noir, so if all of those things sound appealing to you, yes, you should see it. But it is... A TV movie from the 70s. Sure. (laughs) But one of the things that's really great about it, I think, is the thing that, you know, obviously TV movies have a really small budget, but a lot of this movie's charm comes in the writing and the performances, which don't really cost you that much extra. You know, this is Darren McGavin before he was the dad on... A Christmas story. It's all or, anybody yeah, knows him from right, now. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, but so, like, yeah, it's it's the writing especially. Like, you know, it's Richard Matheson. We've liked movies we've seen based on his stuff. Um, although we haven't talked about either Omega Man or I Am Legend here on the show. You know, or Duel. We have, we like The Legend of Hell House, or at least I do. Uh, I love Spur The of Legend of Hell House. I'm the one that got you to watch <laughs> it. I know, but you tease me constantly oh, about it's, that. It's, it's got really stupid shit in it. And especially now that I know that it's a direct ripoff from The Haunting of Hill House. Because yeah, it was made way yeah. after uh-huh. The Haunting of Hill House was written. But I still love The Legend of Hell House. I love haunted house movies. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's well written. It's interesting that it, the whole thing takes place in this sort of like, hey, what if in a completely grounded and realistic world, the press, the police, the FBI have to come to terms with the fact that the killer that they're hunting is literally a vampire but this is still the real world. It's not like we find out it's a vampire and now it all just becomes, how do we defeat the vampire? It's how do these people deal with the fact that a vampire really exists? And I think that's really compelling stuff. I really like it. I mean, it, I like Kolchak, the series, and this is that. It's the precursor to that. So I personally would highly recommend it. Uh, but yes, with the understanding that it is a made-for-TV movie, and you're going to get made-for-TV movie quality stuff. But it was also... From the 70s. From the 70s. <laughs> but at the time, it was, in fact, the most-watched TV movie of all time. I can understand why. Because it's really good. Yes. So, yeah. Anyway, that's you could take our advice or leave it, but it's free. It's on YouTube. 
When we get back, we will talk about 1972's The Night Stalker. May I introduce myself? My name is Kolshak of the Daily Chronicle. Kolshak reports the bizarre, the supernatural, the unexplainable. You will get in another crazy story. This nut thinks he is a vampire. You know what I call that? Irresponsible yellow journalism. He has killed four, maybe five women. I saw that so-called super killer wipe up the streets with your so-called police force. They don't want any help from amateur bloodhounds like you. I've been a reporter for 22 years. I've been a police officer for 30. Well, then why don't you retire? Each man in the field is issued one of these and uh, one of these. Are you suggesting that we pound one of these into Scorzini's chest? No, no, into his heart. Darren McGavin. The Night Stalker. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the Night Stalker begin? It opens with a monologue from the perspective of Kolchak. But it's a diegetic monologue. He's listening to himself on a recorder. Yes. So he's writing a book and he's telling us stuff he is not supposed to tell us. Mm -hmm. And he ends it with... Just try to tell yourself it couldn't happen here. Yeah. Well said, Colton. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter one. This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather what they let you read about it, probably is some minor item buried somewhere on a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I will ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability, and then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. We then see a woman walking home from work, and she is quickly murdered. And when the cops show up, they're immediately just like something weird happened. It's not a normal murder, but we don't really, they haven't really told us what it is yet. And he's just like, don't talk to anyone about this. I'm going straight to the DA because something strange happened. Then we get to actually see Kolchak in the present. So it starts in the future after all this has happened. So now we're back in the present. So we get to see the boss, who's the doctor from Psycho. And he doesn't really like Kolchak. So we'll find out later that Kolchak gets fired a lot. Yes. He is from New York and he got fired for some reason from his newspaper in New York. So he's this hotshot New Yorker. And now he's working in Las Vegas for this whatever newspaper because his options are are slim. <laughs> well, yeah. And like we'll find out that he went from job to job to job uh -huh. because he's always getting fired. And what you kind of come to understand is he probably gets fired because he doesn't listen when people tell him no because he believes that yeah. the people deserve to know the truth. Yeah, he has he has a strong belief in the the role that the press, the press holds as truth tellers in America and freedom of the press is one of the most important freedoms that we have. And, you know, fuck the editor who tells you not to print something. 
He doesn't care if it's provocative. He doesn't care if it might rile people up. Uh, it's the truth, and it deserves to be printed. That's Carl Kolchak's point of view. Now, here's a, a part that I was a little confused about. In the very beginning, his boss calls him in, because he's supposed to be on vacation, and his boss calls him in to do this story, which is funny because then throughout the rest of the film, the boss will be telling him to leave it alone. Well, yeah, because it goes places that the boss doesn't want it to go to. That is true. So he starts looking into the murder, and he's been he he has little birds all over the city. He really does. I really like this element of the movie that it is a sort of confrontational relationship he has with the powers that be, but nobody tries to stop him from being anywhere because they know they sh- that that he has the right to be there. So they can't tell him no. And then there's other people like his buddy Bernie in the FBI who give him information and this person gives him information and that person. So he has lots of really strong sources and I like seeing that part of it. And one of those little birds works inside the hospital. Do you want to tell them what my reference is from? Uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. It's from Game of Thrones. It's Varys and he had little birds. And it's so funny because for the longest time in the show, you don't know if he actually means birds, because it could be birds. There's magic. In this world. No, but you know, the metaphor of a little birdie told me. Well, you find out that it's little kids. It's children the whole time. Oh, in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's just funny because for a long time I was like, are they little birds? Well, I think that also <laughs> comes from Sherlock Holmes, who has the... Does he the, call them little birds? No, but he has the gang of children of riffraff yeah who everyone ignores and so they can roam freely and listen to things Mm -hmm. but so the guy at the hospital tells him all i know is the person lost a lot of blood yeah that's all i know so then there's another murder that takes place and he finds out that that murder the person also lost a ton of blood is this the one that's in the middle of that sand pit and there's No footprints leading to it? Yes. Yeah. uh Yes. The person who's looking into it, because Kolchak is there, taking Uh pictures, listening in, the coroner, whoever it is, is just like, this woman lost a ton of blood, but she didn't lose it here. Yeah. And like Chris said, there's no footprints. There's nothing. So Uh the question is, what the heck happened to this woman? Immediately, they start to think of things and... The cops there tell Kolchak, don't come up with fantasies. Yeah. When he gets back to work, his boss is yelling at him, telling him to stop bothering the cops. <laughs> like, what a fucking yeah. idiot. And so, I mean, that's the point of the editor here in this case is that the editor is thinking about the well being of the newspaper and the community. Kolchak is only thinking about how the news wants to be shared. And so they have kind of different perspectives that conflict in this moment. You know, the editor doesn't want to get locked out of all the other stuff that they get from government officials because Kolchak can't keep his mouth shut. But Kolchak's like, if we keep our mouth shut, then what's the point of even being open in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. But Kolchak's smart and figures it out pretty quickly. And he's like, look. I don't believe in vampires, but you need to contact the nuthouses. That's the word he uses. Yeah. 
and like, find out if anybody escaped that thought they were a vampire. Yeah, everyone gives him shit about, come on, it's not a vampire. And he's like, I'm not saying it's a vampire, but it might be somebody that thinks they are one. Mm-hmm. We should be considering that. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, a hospital uh, calls the cops and explains that all their containers of blood have been stolen. Uh-huh. That's when they also find another victim. So now we're, we're on our third victim. And the coroner, they're interviewing the coroner, and or maybe it's one of the first two, I don't remember. But the coroner is being interviewed. And he explains there's a bite. Uh-huh. It's similar to a dog bite. But you should know, when I checked out the saliva in the bite, it's human. He's fully telling them a human bit this person. Kolchak is immediately just like, I told you so. There's a person running around who thinks they're a vampire. Why aren't we focusing on this? And everyone's like, shut up, Kolchak. And the coroner's like, no, I would listen to him if I were you. Yeah, the coroner believes Kolchak is right. But they don't want, I think it's more that they don't want him to be right, so they're just trying to shut him down. Right, but the the coroner's like, yeah, but if you ignore him, you might not find this guy. But they, one of the cops is like, look, we got some dude run around high on pot or some of the hard stuff. <laughs> and clearly he's doing crazy shit and we need to take him down. And they explain that there was a staff member who saw the person who was stealing the blood. And they said it was a tall, skinny man dressed as an orderly. Kolchak is like, I've got to tell the people. I've got to tell them there's a tall vampire running around. And uh, the guy in charge is like, we don't want to cause a panic. Just like the guy from Jaws. Uh huh. But then he admits, unlike the guy from Jaws, it's bad for business. Yep. So being full. Well, no, the guy from here, Jaws says we'd have a full-on panic on our hands on the Fourth of July or whatever, you know. And this is when we get all of our income, you know. So they do talk about that in Jaws. And so Kolchak is very annoyed because they've basically told him, Kolchak, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. And he goes back to work. And, of course, his boss is like, stay out of other people's business. I don't believe you. I don't believe any of the stuff you're telling me because that's not what the cops have come out and said. Yeah. So he's basically saying, I only believe what the cops tell me, which is like, isn't that the opposite of what your job is? Right, exactly. But so they get a call and the man has been seen. And so the cops are going after him. So Kolchak, of course... Has to be on his way there, and the music that he that plays while when he whenever he drives is very funny. Chris pointed it out. It sounds a little '60s, even though yeah. this was made in 1972. Well, yeah, '72. So, uh, for my definition of decades, I really feel like decades go from the threes, right? So the '60s were really from '63 to '73 because we're still getting over that '60s vibe into the early '70s, and so we still have that kind of. 60s I'm driving sort of sound going on and I know that they're adding to the noir feel with the drive sequences but they are a little long and there's a couple of them yeah but it's setting the mood you know I think it's very it's very 70s to have car chases Uh that makes sense but so there's been a murder and Kolchak makes a joke like oh Bela Lugosi struck again and the cops are like dude 
that girl over there, that's her fuck. This is her mom. Like, like, can you not be an asshole? Yeah, but she was nowhere nearby. (laughs) She, She didn't hear that at all. After that, we finally get to see, we might have seen him earlier, but we finally get to see him. And he's very white-faced, he's got bloodshot eyes, he's very tall. And there's this woman who's about to get into her car. So easily could have gotten into her car and driven away. But she doesn't do that. Oh, she thinks she's smart. Yes, she thinks she's being smart and she opens her door and she's got this dog. This Rottweiler or whatever it is. Who immediately attacks the guy, but the guy just kills the dog like it's nothing. Still could get into her car and drive away, but doesn't, and just stands there well, now in she's disbelief. Frozen. Yeah, uh-huh. and she is murdered. So when Kolchak hears about this woman, this, this woman does not end up dead. We will meet her again later in the film, but she's gone missing, and Kolchak just assumes, since the dog was found dead, that the woman is dead. So he assumes that this murderer has now killed five women, even though the cops only believe he's killed four. And the boss is just like, shut the fuck up, Kolchak. We're not going to print lies until we know that it's the truth. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like, your your job is to tell the truth before the cops do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kolchak is just like, this is news. We can't oppress it. And the the boss says something that I don't think we ever really address. And he goes, to you, they're just a byline, these murders. Yes, I definitely think that's part of it. Kolchak gets high off of this stuff. You know what I mean? Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. This is, in a way, important to him because he feels like he is a crusader. And the way the editor looks at it is that... This is just for you. You don't actually care about the people. You have your own passions, and this is one of those passions, and you get to write a story and say, I'm a crusader for the truth. You don't care about what effect this actually has on the public, because this is going to cause a panic, and it's going to be a problem. From Kolchak's perspective is, if it's going to cause a panic, then it's going to cause a panic. The truth is more important than that. But that's the editor's point, is that, see, you don't. This isn't some truth is important because the people deserve to know, because if you cared about the people, then you would care about what impact this had on them. This is about you and your own personal crusades. Yeah, because there isn't a lot about Kolchak that makes it seem like he wants to be famous famous and rich. Yeah, no. But at the same time, I think that is an important thing to consider, because Kolchak believes that the fifth woman is dead. Yes. She's not actually dead. She might as well be. But she's not dead. And I kind of agree with the fact that you can't just say a fifth person died when you don't know that. I understand his desire to warn the people. I think that that should be, as soon as you are aware that there's a fucking serial killer, Uh you should be telling the fucking public, hey, somebody's out here, be careful. But I don't believe in printing news before you have verification of it. Well, isn't the wording that he uses four or dead and a fifth might be dead? I don't know. I think it's something like that. I think what happens is another hospital gets their blood stolen. And when they go to interview the people who saw him, there's a man and he explains, 
I'm not stupid enough to mess with some creep. I saw his white skin, I saw his red eyes, and I heard that voice. Now, that's interesting because we never hear him speak. No, he never speaks in the entire movie. But he specifically says that voice. I was very curious to hear what that voice sounded like. We get that voice growling. Yeah. Basically, what he implies is, I'm a man, and I don't think I'll be working nights anymore. So the implication (laughs) is... This guy terrified me, uh-huh. and I'm a dude, so if a woman is out working at night, then they, they shouldn't be. And we haven't been talking about his Kolchak's girlfriend. His girlfriend. I mean, she's the one that pushes the whole vampire thing on him in the first place. She she goes to the library, she gets a book on vampires and shares it with him. That's how he knows, like, you know, the mythos of the vampire. Uh, and they're obviously in a very loving relationship. The two of them love each other very much. The weird thing is, is that they never say what she does for a living. Yeah, she sits in a casino, but she doesn't work for the casino. There's this weird sort of, like, subtext that maybe she's a prostitute? Yes, because they call her an undesirable later. Yeah. And he's constantly saying, I wish you didn't work nights. Or maybe she's a stripper. Or something like that at a club. They never say. I think that might be more likely. But yeah, they they just say, because again, this is a TV movie in the 70s on ABC. Like, they're not going to say whether she's a sex worker or a stripper. You know, they're not going to say that out loud. But they drop all the hints that that you need in order to come to these conclusions. Yes, she works nights. She doesn't work for the casino. And she's an undesirable. Yeah. But there's nothing about her character. No, she's a perfectly lovely woman. Yes. Yeah, like mm-hmm. there's nothing about her character, nothing about the way she dresses, the way she does her hair, her makeup. Like there's nothing to suggest that about her except for what other people say about her. Yeah. This is Carol Lindley playing Gail Foster. But yeah, she will show him the book. And at first, he's a little like, oh, like, come, come on. on. There isn't really a vampire. It's just a crazy person. Yeah. But he he recognizes that even if it is just a person. He should know this stuff because, because the person thinks this stuff is real. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I love the scene where he's talking to the cops about not later when he believes it's a vampire. Uh-huh. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I love when he talks about the fact that, like. Go into his house during the day. If he believes he's a fucking vampire, he will be asleep. It will be the best time to go after him. Uh Uh-huh. But so he learns about the wooden stake and everything uh and, and crosses and stuff, which will become very important. But eventually, I think he gets caught at a hospital trying to steal steal the blood. blood. And And he has to fight his way out. Yes. All the cops show up and are just unloading on mm-hmm. the guy. And, and Kolchak, as a senior writer, is also the nighttime editor for the newspaper. So he's there, his boss isn't, and he drives to the scene while all this is happening because he hears the call over the police band. And the vampire is just knocking everyone out, no problem. And Kolchak's just standing there snapping Taking pictures. pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so Kolchak watches this dude get shot at a Bunch of times, point blank range, nothing happens to him. Uh-huh. And he's still able to just knock all these people out like it's nothing. Uh-huh. So Kolchak goes to the cops again and he's like, guys, 
it could be real. And they're just like, you're a fucking idiot. But he's just like, look, even if you don't believe him, there's all these things you should know about vampires to take him down. But at this point, at this point, after what he saw, he does believe that it is a vampire because he's like, he says a couple of things. He's like, I saw him get shot something like 30 times or whatever the number is. And he didn't react at all. So either he's a vampire or every single one of your police officers is terrible at their job. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like, that's the thing. But, you know, he saw the bullets hit him. It's like, what other explanation do you have? How do you explain that? I was at the hospital yesterday and a lot of things were happening that you just simply cannot explain away. Sheriff. Your own men shot at him, some at point-blank range. How come didn't even slow him down? How come a man over 70 years old can outrun a police car? How come the same man when slugged in the head doesn't even bleed? And he asks him that as a reporter. Like, how do you explain that you shot this man dozens of times and he did not die? But I think it's while they're having this conversation that they find him again. And so they go after him again. And I wrote down here, I really enjoy the noir. Like, I love yeah, uh-huh. the noir feel that they did. And they, and it's not super in your face like a 1940s one is. Yeah. It's very subtle. And I enjoyed that about it. They, they, they updated the noir. Well, it's also really cool. They talk about Darren McGavin, like his outfit that he wears, that kind of old suit with the hat and everything like that, is that they write that into the character – because apparently he had had input on his costume. And the way he read it is when he read in the script that he is originally from New York and he was fired from there. It's that he is an old time reporter and he was a reporter for New York in the 50s. And he still wears the same shit he wore when he was a reporter in New York in the 50s. Only now it's the 70s and it looks kind of out of date, but it still contributes to that noir feeling but it's through actual elements of the story. It's not just superficial. And I mm-hmm. really like that. Mm-hmm. So the cops show up. So the funny thing is, is the first time they all were shooting at him. This time they do everything they can to take him down without shooting like him. batons and stuff like that. Yeah. They're all like, oh my God, they are all just on top of this guy and he cannot be taken down. Yeah. I love the dive. One of them just jumps for him and they go <laughs> into the pool and there's this whole like fight inside the pool and there's a second cop that jumps in. Like it's fun. This yeah. is a lot of fun. And again, surprising for a TV movie. Uh-huh. They just keep trying to take him down. They can't. He finally gets out of the pool, and they're like, fuck this, and they start shooting him again. Again, point-blank range, and nothing stops the man. And at that point, they've almost caught him twice. They know his M.O. Why would he stay in Las Vegas at that point? Yeah, he's been lots of places. You'd think at this point the guy would be like, I should probably go somewhere else. Uh Uh-huh. They're able to identify him, like who he is and who his other aliases are. Yes, they find out that he's like this really ancient person from yeah. like Russia or something. Yeah, and he he posed as a hematologist in England named Paul Belasco, which, by the way, is a reference to Hell House. 
<laughs> I thought so. Uh-huh. But yeah, like all these other different personalities, but they figured out who he is. And his name is Janos Skorzenz, Skor Skorzeny, something like that. I can't, I don't know how you pronounce it. Janos Skorzeny. But they have no idea where he is. But yes, you would think he would probably move on at this point. But we know he's having trouble getting blood. And he has taken a woman. He has attacked a woman who hasn't turned up dead yet. So I imagine leaving town and establishing yourself in a new town would be difficult and take time. And he doesn't exactly have the resources to hold himself until then. Except for this woman that he's taken and hasn't potentially killed yet. But so the cops finally cannot ignore the fact that... All these cops are saying, we all shot him, nothing happened. We all beat him down, nothing happened. The cops recognize that they can't keep ignoring this fact. And so they just decide to listen to Kolchak. Yeah. All right, fine, Kolchak. What do you suggest we do? Well, we're going to issue every man on the street a pocket cross. And as part of their regular equipment, stakes and a mallet. And they're like, where did you get this? And he's like, well, I have an old buddy who works in the furniture business. He just whipped it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Kolchak's connections that he has. And after they've listened to all of this, and he's just like, you know, I'm right. Oh, his line is great. They give him a deal, basically. And he's like, fine, I'll take it because I know I'm right. You know I'm right. And then he just stands there in the doorway for a little bit and he goes, right. And he, and he leaves. <laughs> okay, Kolchak, you've got yourself a deal. Conditional. What's that? Put you here, we'll issue the crosses, the mallets, the stakes. The one thing he won't do is depart from established police procedures. If feasible, Skorzeny is to be taken alive and held for trial. Trial? That's right, trial. <laughs> trial. All right, in return for what? You'll get the exclusive rights of the story. Good. Uh, when the blackout is lifted. Uh-huh. Yeah, any other conditions? Uh, one more. What's that? If it turns out you're wrong, you're to be out of town in 12 hours. Take it or leave it. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Because I know I'm right. And uh, you know I'm right. Right. Ciao! So, we haven't also mentioned, again, there's all these little birds that he has, and one of them is a real estate agent, and he asked the real estate agent to look into um, any houses that have recently been bought by weird, tall, skinny... This is Elisha Cook, who we've seen on this show twice now, in Rosemary's Baby and Watson Pritchard in House on Haunted Hill. He's the young guy in House on Haunted Hill who's yes. going to inherit the place. Yes. He's in Rosemary's Baby? Oh, he's the one who sells them the house yes. at the very beginning. Yes, yeah, I think so. He's the I real think. estate agent. Yeah. That's so funny. So when he finds this out, oh, my God, his yeah! <laughs> Watch out, you great big, wonderful, big apple cold shacks coming back. Yeah! It's so good. It's very much yeah! So, 
He goes to the house, and he brings someone with him. Who does he bring with him? He doesn't. He tells Bernie. Oh. And he tells Bernie, don't tell them for another half hour, because it's approaching dawn, and I want to get in there and check things out before the cops get in there and fuck everything up. So he goes to the house. He finds the blood containers. He finds fake mustaches and uh-huh. hairstyles, which people have said he had a he had a mustache, which was confusing earlier. Uh-huh. It's all fake. He's taking pictures of everything. He finds the casket with the dirt inside. Because if you know from like Nosferatu and, and Dracula, it's, they sleep in a coffin full of dirt from their homeland. Oh. Yeah. I didn't, I've never heard that part. Yeah. But yeah, he's not exactly being very cat-like. He's making tons of creaks and and noises as he's walking around. He hits things. But he finds the woman. She's tied up in bed and she's been having blood drained from her. He's keeping her alive. So her body keeps making blood. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying like he has a setup here that he needs right now because he can't find blood any other way. And his own personal blood bank. Exactly. That's what Kolchak says. Uh, And he is about to save her when the vampire shows up back at home. But Kolchak is prepared. (laughs) And as soon as he's found by the the vampire, because he hides. Oh, it's this tense moment where the mouth tape won't stick back on. So he's like, be careful. Don't uh, don't move around too much because it'll just fly right off and he'll know I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, and, but so there's a yeah a tense moment where he's hiding in the closet, and you think he's going to get away with it, but then vampire opens the door, or he opens the door and the vampire's waiting for him, and he takes out the cross and holds it up, uh-huh. which causes the the vampire to to shy away from it. They're fighting. The vampire tries to bite him, is unsuccessful, and the friend Bernie shows up. And opens up the curtain. Sunlight. Yeah. And he's like, oh, God. But all it does to him is weaken him. Yes. It's not like he catches on fire, turns to dust or anything like that. And I think I'm okay with that. I actually prefer that version. I don't. I mean, we're going to talk in our next movie about how sunlight affects vampires. I like that version best where it hurts them. It doesn't it's not just like the Oh, if you touch a sun ray, you poof into a cloud of smoke or whatever. You know, I don't like that. That's too much. Too far. <laughs> yeah, this weakens him in the sunlight. So they're they're both like fighting on the fighting stairs on him and on he's the on the stairs and he's like, uh, uh, and he's he is basically subdued. But this isn't good enough for Kolchak. He needs to, he knows if this is allowed to go on any further, he's just going to get away again. As soon as it's nighttime and he gets his strength back, he's just going to kill more people. So he takes out his, his stake and his mallet and Bernie watches him do it. He hits him. And he pierces it through his heart and he does it several times. And as he's doing this, the police come barging in. And they're all just looking at him as he's driven a stake through this man's heart. Now, the next morning, he's written his story up and he's so happy. He's as happy as he could possibly be. He tells his girlfriend, you know what? 
Let's you and I get married. I feel great. You know, this is going to be good for me. It's going to be good for us. He takes his story into the newspaper and the editor's like, all right. He's like, so you're going to print that and not change anything. You got it. He's like, okay, good. But and you got to go talk to the cops. Oh, yeah. First. By the way, the cops came by. They want to they talk to you about They like They want to debrief on this. And he's like, okay. And as he's leaving, he's like, hey, Kolchak. Uh, Kolchak. You're one hell of a reporter. Thank you, sir. And he goes and he shows up and it's the DA, it's the sheriff, it's uh, the chief of police, and it's Bernie. And Bernie looks really distressed. Like he's obviously visibly upset. Basically what they tell Kolchak is, you murdered a dude. (laughs) We have a warrant for your arrest. Yeah, he's like, ah, yeah, whatever. You guys, you're sore losers, basically. You know, yeah, good good one, good one. He's like, no, we're dead serious. We are going to arrest you for murder. You had a subdued man and then you killed him. That is murder. Even if he is a villain, even if he's killed other people, it doesn't matter. Murder is a last resort. Wouldn't it be nice if the cops actually held themselves to that standard? Yeah, exactly. And what their ultimatum is, is we will actually serve this warrant and arrest you for murder. Cold-blooded, first-degree murder. You told us what you were going to do, and then you did it. That's first-degree murder. There's a legal phrase for that, Kolchak. You might have run into it once or twice in your broad experience. It's called premeditated murder. You can get out of town and never come back. And we are not going to print your article. Your editor is going to print something else. That the police took him down. And they had no other option. Uh, This is your story, Kolchak. It's already being printed. This morning, shortly before sunrise, Las Vegas Sheriff deputies under the command of Sheriff Warren A. Butcher, 45, surrounded the home of Janos Skorzeny, a fugitive from a federal warrant, and in a pitch-gun battle, were forced to kill him. Never. You'll never get away with it. What's to stop me? You're going to stop yourself, Kolchak. Because if you open your mouth, we'll find you, bring you back, use this warrant, and put you away forever. They show up with his luggage and everything. Pick him up, Kolchak. Pick him up and get out of town. Now, we'll take care of your background. I want to call Gail. She's not there, Carl. What have you done with her? Nothing. We just asked the young lady if she'd be good enough to leave town. She's an undesirable element, Kolchak, and we don't want undesirable elements in Las Vegas. Carl, there's nothing I can do. Carl, you you let me know where you end up, huh? Yeah, sure, Bernie. I'll keep in touch. So horrible. It's devastating. It's so horrible. It's devastating. And Bernie's like, he's in a bad position, too. I can't put my neck on the line because the same shit's just going to happen to me. You think the FBI is going to be any nicer to me? So, like, I I can't help you here. 
Kolchak's like, fine. You know what? Fuck you guys. I'm out of here. You'll never see me again. But he prints his work. Well, he almost. I don't think Bernie ever comes back into the TV series. But I can't confirm that outright. So that's how we get back to him being in a hotel and he's recorded his story. He's written his book that he wants to write that he's going to publish that's going to tell the whole true story. And what he says in this is that, like, you know what? There's no way for me to prove any of what I'm saying is real. There is no proof that any of it happened. And the officials in charge, the official record is that none of it's true. So why should you believe me? Well, ask yourself. After the death of Janos Skorzeny, he and all of his victims were immediately cremated. Why? Remember the legend? All those who die from the bite of the vampire will return as a vampire, unless destroyed first. So think about it and try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, in the quiet of your home, in the safety of your bed, try to tell yourself it couldn't happen here. And that's like how the book ends and it's how this movie ends. That's really fucking cool. I think it's very good. Yeah. There was a sequel called The Night Strangler the next year, uh, which also did pretty well. They were going to make a third film called The Night Killers, but instead uh, they made the TV show. show. (laughs) Uh, They rebooted the TV show in like 2005, 2006 called Night Stalker. Uh, It wasn't called Kolchak the Night Stalker. So the TV show is called Kolchak the Night Stalker, implying that Kolchak is the Night Stalker. Right. Even though in this movie, the Night Stalker is the vampire. Right. But they're like, oh, but he's the news reporter who hunts these things in the night. He's the Night Stalker. Oh, I get it. In the TV show. Very clever. But the thing is, is that this reboot was made by ABC, who owned the rights to the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler, but not the TV series, which was made by Universal. So even though they rebooted a new TV series... Not called Kolchak the Night Stalker, because again, they don't have the rights to that name. They just have the rights to the Night Stalker. They can't do use any of the characters or plot lines from the TV show. Just the two movies and then anything new that they create. So, a little weird. It also lasted for one season. It didn't go on uh, for very long. But in the original series, this is a classic Monster of the Week format. Like, what I really like about Half-Like, I guess, about The X-Files is the monster of the week stuff. There's vampires, werewolves, mummies, zombies, a doppelganger, witches, aliens, an android, a succubus, a pact with Satan, a headless motorcycle rider, a possessed suit of armor, Jack the Ripper, I think is like the first or second episode, uh, and an immortal Helen of Troy. Like, there's, it's really cool shit, and there's a completely new monster that he has to investigate Every single week. And the show is just cool as fuck. And it is very obviously a major inspiration for the X-Files. So when Chris Carter made the X-Files and he got to the point where he had to introduce who actually started the X-Files project within the FBI, he hired Darren McGavin to play that part. That's cool. As like sort of a wink to That's really cool. how the X-Files started with Night Stalker. Yeah, so that that's actually, that's pretty damn cool. Also, what else? Oh, there's one other thing. The screeching violin in the vampire's house that plays during the 
climactic fight. All I could think of is Insidious. Is there anything else you want to talk about about uh, Night Stalker, Kelsey? No. So, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? It does have a Rotten Tomatoes score. There are only seven reviews, so there's no consensus. Seventy-seven? Eighty-six. Although the audience score with 420 reviews, nice, is 76. (laughs) Uh, No Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? 86? Yes. Maybe just slightly overrated. I'd say it's probably overrated as well. But I like that audience score. Maybe that audience score is a little bit under. Yeah. This holds a special place in my heart. I'm going to give it a 79. Okay. I think it's very, very good, especially when you think about the fact that it's a TV movie. Yeah, all the things that could potentially hold it down. A television movie from the 70s. Like, yeah, no, it's low budget, and but no, it it does so well. I really, yeah. really like it. I would give it an 80, I think, a solid 80. If it had been just a little bit more edited, I think I would have... Giving it an 80? Nah, I don't think it needs that. I think it builds into its noirness. Yeah, I know, but it's a little slow sometimes. You always think it's slow. <laughs> I always like the patience. <laughs> That's my word. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's very good. I was very surprised. I mean, I guess not completely surprised. I was pleased that yeah, it I- held up to my memory of... Kolchak the Night Stalker, the actual TV series. I really liked Kolchak as a character. Yeah. And I He did a great job. I really enjoyed... Yeah, he did a very good job of portraying the character. And I really enjoyed the noir and the fact that it's a bunch of cops running after a vampire is fun. And it's like, what if that was real? I think it's just that when he first thinks it could be a crazy person that might think he's a vampire... To when he realizes he is a vampire, I think there's just some stuff that could have been cut in the middle there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's too many iterations. That additional fight in the pool. I like the fight in the pool. I know. But the first fight could have probably been taken. No, I mean, that's catching him in the act. Like, we don't need to catch him in the act twice, (laughs) right? Maybe we could have combined those. All the different secret meetings that the press... And the people in power had together to decide what the official story was going to be. There were a couple of those. So maybe, yeah, just combine those and just do it once. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But, you know, you're filling two hours of television time. So you don't exactly have a choice on how long it needs to be. It needs to be this long. You know what <laughs> I mean? So. Yeah, I really fucking like this movie. <laughs> I would – I – I want to see The Night Strangler, even if we don't watch it on the show. Do you think we would, or do you think no? The sequel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll watch it. Okay. Eventually. Yeah. I would want to, because it's the only thing I haven't seen now. Mm-hmm. So I really want to see that. I just want to point out that this was a recommendation. Both these movies come from Michael, so thank you, Michael. Yeah, he wanted us to do a Vampire Week, and we're doing it, Michael. Thank you very much. That is the first movie that was recommended, 1972's The Night Stalker, and I'm really glad he did. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. 
This film, written by Quentin Tarantino about a gang of vampires in a bar, was also made into a TV series. From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, I didn't know it was a TV show. Yeah, huh? Not too long ago, actually. I mean, well after the movie was made, but it was 2000s, something like that. All right, Kelsey. You better get this. I will accept the real life name, but I want the fictional name. Where does the Lost Boys take place? Well, in the movie, it's called Santa Carla. Yes. And in real life, it's called Santa Cruz. That is correct. Which already did have the sort of uh, moniker of murder capital of the world, whether that was true or not. Did and it they, really? Yeah, uh-huh. That's, they're kind of building off of that with the movie in Santa Carla, which is not Santa Clara, different places, <laughs> where the back of the sign says the murder capital of the world. Like, I obviously, it's not as bad anymore. But yeah, it was this it was this place in Northern California near the Bay Area, near Monterey. We've been there. We have been there. Uh, and it's great. We've been to the boardwalk there. We've been on the roller coaster and all of that stuff. We had an absolutely excellent time when we went. So much fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the it's the Bay Area. There's a lot of, you know, different types of people there. And so yeah, if you're not monitoring same, it properly, some unsavory shit can happen. But. It's the same place that Us takes place, right? It's the same boardwalk? I think so. Yeah. I've I've only seen Us once. Pretty sure it's the same boardwalk. Yeah. That, and we've seen the bridge where they uh, they hang from the bridge. Like Have that. we? Yeah, we it's, see it's that? right over there. You can just see it from the, from, you can see it from. Oh, okay. The thing. We saw it. But yeah, we went up north for 4th of July, and we made it a point to stop at a bed and breakfast in Santa Cruz just so we can ride some bikes out to the boardwalk and have a good time. Yeah, that was that was great. It was a fantastic memory, forever linked to the Lost Boys. Fuck yeah. <laughs> One day we'll watch it on the show. I don't know why we haven't yet. I don't know. I did a great pumpkin of his face. You did. That's a fantastic one. I'll have to see if I can find it and we'll post it to Twitter. I know we have in the past. We posted all of our Yeah, pumpkins. but I'll repost it this time so uh, people can see it that are listening to this episode. Follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. <laughs> all right, Kelsey, our next movie is 2013's Afflicted, written and directed by and starring Derek Lee and Cliff Prouse, also starring Baya Rahaz. Is this going to be the first written and directed movie that you like? No, it's not. It's I mean, I've liked other written and directed movies. It's it's not that not all written and directed buys are bad, <laughs> but there's a certain type of bad where you can predict that it is written and directed by the same person. That just happened recently. What movie was it? Oh, Z. The movie Z. I hated that movie. It was such a movie. good premise, Yes, too. sure. They really shot the... But I hated it. Throughout the whole movie, I was bitching and complaining and annoying the crap out of Kelsey with how much I hated it. And then the first credit that that's shown is <laughs> directed by Brandon Christensen. And I'm like, oh, let me guess. It's written by Brandon Christensen, too? Yup. Very next credit is written by Brandon Christensen and Colin Minahan. And like, 
it's not that everyone that's written and directed by the same is bad. It's just that you can you can just feel it. You know a certain type of bad is oh, it's because this person directed his own shit and didn't have anybody else <laughs> saying no to him. I think that movie it was more the writing that was the problem. That's <sighs> terrible. <laughs> Just a wasted premise. Just a wasted premise. It is. Anyway, what is afflicted about Kelsey? That is, in fact, written and directed by the same people who use their real names, their real personas. Written and directed and acted. Yes. Written, directed, and starred. Uh, Cliff Prowse and Derek Lee. What's it about? It is about uh, these two dudes who decide to go on a trip around the world because one of them is dying. It's very sad. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, which is exactly what Chris and I are going to do if I ever find out. I'm, yeah. I'm it's dying. not so much that he's dying. It's just that he could die at any minute. Right. Yeah. So they're going to travel around the world and his buddies encourage him to hook up with a chick. And that goes poorly. It does go poorly. <laughs> uh, it is available for free with a subscription if you have Amazon Prime. You can rent it for 3 to $4 on Prime, Vudu, Google, iTunes, Microsoft, YouTube, you know, the standards. Uh, you can also buy it for $13 on most services, but Prime and Vudu have it for only $7. Should people watch Afflicted? I'd say sure. Um, it's actually a very, very decent It's watchable, I would say. Yeah. yeah, and we don't like a ton of found footage, but this is a very well put together one. Are there some complications and holes? Sure. Yeah. But I think for what it is and mm-hmm. the fact that they made it completely themselves yeah. is pretty impressive. It's not entirely unique either. It's basically chronicle, but with vampires instead. And it just came out a year afterwards. So I don't I don't think that it's copied, but it's, you know, that sort of like found footage them keeping track of like they're they're just recording for some other reason. And then they keep track of what's happening now that this new wonderful, crazy thing is happening. So it's not incredibly unique, uh, but it's well done. And I think, Kelsey, you asked me after we watched it, you know, like, what did you think in general? And I'm like, you know, I think I really liked it. And I think a lot of that has to do with that. It didn't promise very much, and it fulfilled on all of those promises. I think that's why I really liked it. Sometimes movies like this can overpromise and fall on their faces. This, I don't think, does. It no. promises something very simple, and it gives you that, and it's good. And it's believable. Sure, yeah. To, a, like, to uh, an extent. Obviously, yes. to an extent, but yeah. like... A lot of it is it's it's grounded in reality, just like Night Stalker was. Yeah, and I that's intriguing. It's it's fun when it's not fun when everyone just says no, 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 no. It can't be real. Yeah, right, because that's just frustrating. But it's fun when people slowly are coming to the terms with that. Like, yeah, no, this is actually happening. Actually happening. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I think I think you should watch it, especially if you have a Prime subscription. Especially if it's you like free. found footage. Oh, yeah. This is one of the better found footage movies out there. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2013's Afflicted. Tomorrow, we're going on a year-long trip around the world. We're about to bust in on Derek and the girl he just picked up. Call the ambulance. What happened? I don't remember. We should be at the hospital. 
Oh my god. How do you think this happened? Everything starts with Audrey. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Afflicted begin? So these two guys, Derek and Cliff, are documenting their... They're going to travel around the world because Derek has this condition called AVM, which means that... Is it a real thing? Yes. AVM stands for Arteriovenous Malformation. Basically, the arteries and veins in his brain are malformed, and basically anything can go wrong at any time. Uh, so he has like a cluster of veins in his brain, and that could cause like a hemorrhage in his brain, and he could die. Um, kind of at any point. But it's not necessarily sudden. It could come in stages, and they his doctor, who's like, I'm not going to tell you not to go on this trip, but... If you find yourself unable to write, unable to move your extremities, get to a hospital immediately. Yeah, and they act like like his brother and his mom are really worried about him, which I guess that makes sense. But I don't know. I guess it's just so strange to me. Like, if I was told that, yeah, I'd be gone. Yeah, because their concern is if something happens, they want you to be close to a to a hospital. They want you to be close to them. So, you know, you can be taken care of. And his thought is, yeah, and then I spend the rest of my life in a hospital. So no thanks. And I totally get both perspectives, but he obviously feels very strongly about this. And yeah, I would if if I knew him, if I was his friend, I would be like, yeah, you know, you should go on this trip. Exactly. So they're going to turn it into a movie. And the idea is, I mean, not a movie, but like they're going to document it It's all, a travel log. Yeah, on their website. And then people are supposed to tell them, hey, we want you to do this and that. And they document it as they go. So their first spot is Barcelona, Spain. Whoop, whoop. I've been there. I have never been there. And they, they go to, like, the Dripping Cathedral. I meant to look up what that place is called. I've been there. Uh, they also go skydiving while in Barcelona. I've also been skydiving. I'm glad you have, because I never will. Yeah. And their friendship, like we said, they're really friends in real life. So Right. They've made a couple of different shorts together, and that's where they got the footage for... Derek saying, oh, I've been in a couple of Cliff's movies and stuff like that. Yeah, no, because that's real life. It's adorable. Their it friendship is. is very, very cute. And they just, they, it's a real friendship that you're watching, so none of it feels forced. Mm. And they're meeting their friends there. Yeah, their friends have a band that travels the world, apparently. Called Unalaska. <laughs> yeah, and... They went to see them perform in Spain, and then they're also going to see their last performance in France. That's where they're yeah. going next. Which, it's so clearly they're they're doing a lot of Mediterranean yeah, stuff. Yeah, they don't get very far. They basically just stay in the Mediterranean, and yeah. that's it. And that's why I've been to all these places, because I went on a Mediterranean cruise. Well, so la-di-da. All the places that they go to is what, that's why I've been to all those places. They go to France, and he, so far, Derek has been unsuccessful in hooking up with a chick, and his friends are 
all about him, you know, like, this could be your last chance, so you yeah. might as well go out there and have lots of fun, because yeah. it doesn't even matter if you get a disease, right? Like, you could die anyway, so who yeah. cares? Start the conversation with the fact that you have AVM. Brain aneurysm, <laughs> yeah. is what he says. Tell him you got a brain aneurysm. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Have you been telling them obnoxious travel stories? Yep. You need to lead with, I have a brain aneurysm. Okay, that might be a little bit too close to And while out at the club, he strikes out a couple times. But then he meets this very hot chick. Now, her name will apparently be Audrey. What this woman is doing here doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, no, wait, no, it does. She's out hunting. She yeah, just she's happens feeding, yeah. to meet Derek, and she likes Derek. Uh-huh. Well, and she could she could smell his disease. They never tell you. She says, you were dying, and I felt bad. No, no, you were dying, and I thought I was doing you a favor, is what right. she'll eventually tell him. Right. But they don't tell you that she how she knew, unless he did tell her, or she could smell it. They don't tell you. It's a blood thing. It has to do with his veins. I'm sure she's attuned to that sort of thing. It's probably true. But so, he leaves with Audrey, and the friends get it in their head that they're gonna cockblock him, which also doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, that's totally fucked. Like... Totally fucked, especially with what you guys have been saying. Right, about how he needs to get laid, and then they just think it's going to be funny if they burst in on them. But it doesn't end up mattering, because they are not hooking up. No, she's gone. He has been beaten. Yeah, and he has a chunk torn out of his arm, and his face, and his neck. She knocked him out. Yeah, so hit him on the head. So he's got bruising and stuff all over his face. And then he's got a big chunk of his arm taken out. Right. Now, we're not going to hide anything in relation to this. She is a vampire. uh, And she leaves all of her clothes and stuff there and I guess jumps out the window naked. Right. Why? Okay. Why does she leave her stuff? Why does it get put into a box of... Lost and found that ma- that la- lasts for, I guess they only leave for a week after this. But even still, she doesn't come back at any point to get her phone? Right. And they don't, like, like people at a hotel wouldn't take a phone. Like, I can understand maybe she's on a blood high and she just goes flying throughout the neighborhood completely naked. But, like, does she never go back to get her stuff? It does not make sense. This is probably the biggest question in the whole movie, they it also, all relates to this. Because a lot of the plot's going to revolve around the fact that she leaves naked, she leaves all of her stuff, and she never comes back to get it. And it's like, that's a big question for so much of the plot to revolve around it. Yeah. I mean, it also implies that she doesn't go to see her familiar after this for a week, which does not make any sense. They do nothing to explain why she hasn't been in contact with him for a week. I think that's a really interesting storyline, though, that she basically has a boyfriend that she feeds on but never kills and never turns. They don't explain the turning process, which also pissed me off. I think the turning process is if, if you kill them. By sucking their blood. Because you, you like, like a mosquito, you know how they inject something into your blood and then they suck it up? It's like that, that's, that thing that they inject into your blood is what causes you to itch. A mosquito. So this is, I think, a similar sort of thing. Like, yeah, she 
she kills him that way and then he turns. It was entirely an accident. She didn't mean... No, she had to mean to kill him. She absolutely meant... Because she thought she was doing him a favor by killing him. She absolutely meant to turn him. No, she didn't mean to turn him. She said it was an accident. No. She said, I thought I was doing you a favor because you were dying. Yeah, I was doing you a favor by killing you. No, when he asks her, why did you do this to me? She said it was an accident and I've never done it and I never intended to do it. Don't you think I would have cured myself if there was such a thing? Don't you think I would have ended my life if I could? You were a mistake. I would never create another. I think she just got caught up in it and ended up turning him accidentally, like she was high or something. Or drunk. I that's not what I got out of it. I got out of it that she turned him on purpose because she she said I will never do it again. It was a mistake. I cuz I think what she means when she says that is no, maybe you're clearly right. Clearly this was a bad thing to do. Maybe you're right. I feel like she said she didn't mean to, but if I'm wrong then you, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't make sense because she okay, this is how I interpreted it. She turned him because she felt bad because he was dying. So why did you choose me? You were dying. I thought I was being kind. So she thought she was giving him a gift. Or like, you know, giving him life. So... Oh, that's interesting, because my, my interpretation was her gift was killing him. I so he wouldn't that, have to live through his disease. Well, I thought he, she was turning him. But that doesn't make any sense because we find out, like you say, that she can have a she can have a boyfriend that she doesn't kill and drinks from, but he never changes. It's very um let, let the, the right, right one, one in. in. Yeah. But they never explain what the difference is. What's the difference between her sucking on this guy for years and him never turning? <laughs> but then this guy she bites once. And he becomes a vampire. Yeah. I don't get it. Does not make sense. And then it won't make sense again because... I mean, a lot of the plot revolves around him not knowing and him not having this information. So not knowing isn't the worst thing in the world. But yeah, it does leave a lot of questions that are completely unanswered and seem to contradict themselves. Because... By the end, guys, he will have turned his friend on accident, but they don't explain again what the difference is. Why does sometimes it turn people and why does sometimes it not? Yeah. Because the implication is certainly that she does kill people by doing this. So it's not just if you kill them or you don't. And she tries to decide who to kill. Yeah. And she doesn't turn them when she kills them. Yeah. But why is it that she thought she killed him, or maybe she didn't, and he ended up turning, and he thought he killed his friend, and his friend ended up turning. Mm-hmm. Like, so what is it? At what point does this person get turned, and at what point can you suck blood, not kill, and not turn? It's definitely the biggest flaw in this movie. Yeah. I think, honestly, it's a flaw in a lot of vampire movies. Is how does the turning process work? That's why I like Interview with a Vampire, because it actually explains the process explicitly. It's a problem with zombie movies, too. When your food source is also your source of reproduction, it 
it introduces a lot of questions. Well, in Interview with the Vampire, it's simply, I either drain you completely or you become a vampire. No, you got to like lay in a in a in a well there's there's all these the ritualistic things and, that they yeah. do with it but at its core it's purely just either i kill you completely or you stay alive and you're a vampire that's what it is at its core they have a like i said they have a like and you said a bunch of ritualistic things that they do with it although actually no it's been a while they since have I've to seen drink it. from you yeah, 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 that's it. They you, have to drink from you. Swap, you swap, right? Don't you do both? And then and then you lay in the ground together. Because they will die unless they suck from Unless they blood. suck from your blood back. Yeah, and so if that's they suck more from of your the, blood, that's, that's what that cyclical turns you part. Yeah, that's into, the turning in there. Yeah. So at least that has an answer, and I appreciate that that has an answer. Uh, zombies don't have an answer. Your main predator, your main prey, and your source of reproduction is all the same entity. And that is not conducive to replicating well, and the surviving. He, the enormous difference between a zombie and a vampire is zombies will eat and eat and eat like an animal would. But a vampire still retains their humanity. Mm -hmm. And they are smart enough to understand, I take one a night, nothing bad will happen. I yeah. take too many... And my food supply will, A, drown out, and B, I'll get caught. Yeah. So anyway, he starts to have weird things happen to him. Like, well, at first... they go to Italy. Yeah. And when in Italy, they go to eat at this amazing restaurant off of the coast, which I have been to. Mm -hmm. I have not gotten to eat in an amazing restaurant like that, so don't worry. But we saw them. So I did a cruise around that coast uh -huh. i saw the restaurants that they were eating in for sure but yeah they go to sit down at this amazing restaurant what happens uh, he just throws up over everything yeah and then he runs out and he refuses to go to the hospital because he's like if i go to the hospital now they will keep me there and i will die in that hospital so his friend convinces him to go out into the sunshine and see this beautiful... Like cliffside vineyard. Yes, and what happens there? He starts to get really uh, nauseous at first, and then he gets, like, severe sunburn, like, immediately. Yes. Uh, and then he has to go inside, then he has to dip his face in the water, and the dude's like, what's going on? They also find his pig. That's my pig, Judith. We missed this cute pig. What are you... This is Judith, my pig. He's very cute. It's so weird. It's so weird. And they come back here. We see that they take this little, like, tram thing that goes along. It's like a monorail train thing that goes along the cliff sides that gets them on this tour. Uh, but they come back here and they never use that again. That's another plot hole that's like... Unless are they staying there. It was very confusing. Right. It was very confusing in that regard. Cliff is like, we've got to take you to the hospital now. But what they end up finding out is he has superhuman strength. Yes. And suddenly the friend who's been so worried about him is like, oh, your strength is so cool. Let's do a bunch of strength tests instead of taking you to the hospital because it's just so cool. So if you've ever seen a movie... 
where people get powers and it's supposed to be like real life and they start doing tests. It's just like that. It's just like Chronicle. It's just like Iron Man. It's just like Shazam. It's them doing tests on camera. All right, strength test number one. You know, bullet immunity like in Shazam. Like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not like this copied all of that. It's just that it's a trope of this sort of movie and it also appears in this one. And yeah, so they do things like they test his speed, they test his strength. Yeah, he has super speed. He can now pick up cars, which, okay, not all of their effects look great, but that looked totally real. Yeah, that looked good. But then his contacts start to hurt his eyes. Yeah, because his eyes are healing. So he ends up pulling his eyes out, and that part didn't look real. Yeah, so he pulls his contacts out and his, like, cornea, and, like, he rips them out entirely. And I guess what's happening is his pupils are, like, enlarging. So he's tearing out part whatever part of the eye that is, and it's healing that way. So now his pupils can dilate, like, severely wide. He's basically getting night vision. Oh, see, that's not how I read it. I read it that he pulled his eye out, literally pulled it out, and then it grew back. Yeah, I was thinking that at first, but then when you when you look at what he has in his hand, it's not a full eyeball. Exactly. It's just the like the cornea. Like if you were to do laser surgery and they slice that off, they fold it down, they do their little laser surgery. It's basically if he just ripped that part of the eye off. Okay. Confusing. Yeah. It's a little confusing. But I mean, none of this stuff looks like maybe when he pulls out his eye. Or the part of his eye, it doesn't look super real, but none of it looks super unreal either. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it struck me as kind of like a really, really good magic trick where you're like, oh, I know this isn't real. It's not, it hasn't convinced me that it's real at all. Uh, I can even see where the change happens, but I'm, st- it's still impressive. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's like that. He also learns that he can basically fly. He can jump really high. He can jump really and they, high they and have this, keep jumping while jumping, so. They have this, like, chest camera that he wears. Ooh, there is a scene uh-huh. where we watch from that chest video him flying. Jumping really far. pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. They did a good job with that. It was probably just a drone, yeah, or but even it looked they had, really neat. Or even they had wires you know, and they just had him actually jump, but he's attached to wires or whoever it is, the stunt man or somebody else. Yeah. But how could they have gotten that? Like, if it's just an indie movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they did it in, um, like, the Born Identity, you know, when he jumps through the window and the cameraman jumps behind him. There's literally a cameraman, like, doing a stunt because they got to get the camera to do the jump to. You know, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, they just use wires for that. But yeah, it, when you say it's an indie movie, it costs like just over $300,000 to make. It was made for practically nothing. And they got a government grant because I think I, they're, they are Canadian. I think they got a grant from Canada and they got like family and friends to contribute as well. But I mean, for that amount of money, these are very impressive. Effects. Feats, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, but that bit him flying freaks his friend out. That's a little too much for Cliff. He's like, I don't, I don't know if I'm down with this. This is weird. But then they end up seeing a car almost hits them or something. So when the car swerves, the guys get out of the car and they're like, what the fuck? And they kind of start to go after Cliff. Derek ends up 
pushing them away. Uh, really hard and basically killing them. Yeah, pretty much almost kills them. And it's all on footage that they decide to upload. Yeah, Cliff decides. He's like, I didn't know what to do. I just uploaded it. This is Yeah, that's this is the part where the movie starts to not make a lot more of sense. So originally, the movie was supposed to, like their, their, their first plan for how they were to do this was for it to be like, have you ever heard of Lonely Girl 15? No. Lonely Girl 15 was like a vlog that this girl had, Lonely Girl 15, and it was very popular, and then it... It was discovered after it had already started going on that it was entirely manufactured. It was written. The the girl was an actor. She wasn't the real person. But it was presented as if it was real and authentic. And so it was this whole big deal. And then it kept going. And then now that everyone knows it's fake, it just got more and more fantastical. But it was presented in a vlog format. It was just posted to YouTube, you know, back before YouTube was the source of all these shows that people would actually host on it. This was supposed to be something like that, where they were actually going to have a travel log, and there would be entries, there would be video, and then they would maybe post a little less frequently, and weirder things would happen, until ultimately it would go silent entirely, and the hope is it would become like viral, because people would be talking about what's going on here, people would probably be, you know reviewing conspiracies on Reddit and stuff like that. And then ultimately they would come out with the movie that shows the, oh, we found their footage that includes a bunch of stuff that they never posted, that they, you know, at that that they recorded after it stopped posting. And it was going to be this whole sort of um, augmented reality thing. And they didn't end up doing that. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he posts it. And that's when somebody notices, dude, Derek, did you just lick your hand? Because he has blood on his hand. Mm -hmm. Did you just lick that blood off your hand? And that's when they finally realize he's turning into a vampire. And that's when Cliff is like, well, we got to document this. If it's Uh really what we think it is, it's got to be documented. So they try to get him different types of blood from different animals. First, it's dead cow's blood. Oh, it's got to be fresh. Go and eat the pig's blood. Oh, it must be human's blood. Oh, yeah, the pig that you really like, this tiny little pig. He's very cute. But so then his friend Cliff is like, all right, you know what? I'll just do it. And he opens up a vein and he puts blood into a jar and he's trying to give it to him. But it's been too long since he's eaten. And he has turned into full animal version of he's vampire. Gone, he's gone feral. Yes. And he attacks and kills his friend. And he feels really bad about it. And he shoots himself. But he survives. Yep. Uh-huh. So. That's what that cover is. You see the scar. It's like, it's the healed head, which we actually see in the movie, which is a pretty good effect, actually. It's it's basically the exit wound of the gunshot. But then all the veins and everything like that and, and the cracks make up like a, a a map of Europe, like a street map, because it takes oh, place do on the they? Streets. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but so when he comes back to life, he's like, well, guess I gotta find Audrey. Yeah. That's kind of the only thing I've got left. Cause now I'm like, fuck, how do I die? But it's like, uh, you let yourself burn in the sunlight. Right. But even she says that won't work. Yeah, as soon as the sun goes down, you'll... You'll heal. You'll heal or whatever. So he's basically Deadpool. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
he's gonna find Audrey. There's all this stuff. He goes back to the hotel, he gets her phone, he calls all the contacts in the phone, he gets Maurice to show up, who is her slave, effectively, and he traps Maurice and hoping that Audrey will show up. Audrey doesn't show up, the police do. Yeah, Interpol's been after his ass for a while now. Even when he was still with Cliff. Yeah. Oh, this scene, though, like, the first time, I love this se- this sequence. I love it. I absolutely love it. The one where he's running through the sunlight? Yes, the first time they catch him and it's just him, and Cliff's just, already dead. he just killed Cliff, yeah. And he, he just committed suicide and realized he can't die, but he's running from Interpol, and he doesn't want to hurt any of them, and he's like, stop shooting me, stop shooting me! And he has to run, we get this chest camera view of him running through the streets, trying to get from shady place to shady place. Every time he gets in the sun, you hear the searing. Yeah, uh-huh, and then he, as he rounds a corner, there's more cops there, and it, it just him, just this one escape sequence is just a lot of fun. It's yeah. very cool. He ends up killing one of the guys, so now they're really after him. Uh, but yeah, now they show up in full force when he has Maurice. He goes feral again during this moment, and he ends up killing every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Because he just keeps waiting too long in between when he eats. Yeah. Which is weird, because then later they make it sound like it's only been a week. But then earlier it sounded like it had been longer than that, and it, it's well, a little it's, confusing. it's only a week from when he gets turned to when they go to get the phone. Then after that, he tries to contact people, and he gets nothing for a long time, and then... And then he gets Maurice, and he has Maurice for a long time, and she never shows up, and then the police... So, like, time is passing. But yes, he kills all these people... He tries to set up Audrey again. She does actually show up. They have a fun vampire battle. Yeah. Where they're flying around after each other. And then she finally stakes him to show him. He can't you die. Yeah. can't die. Stop asking me. You're stuck like this. There's no way to do it. Uh-huh. Basically, you will kill. It will happen. If you do not feed, you will go feral, and you'll have no control over yourself. So your options are kill a bunch of people that you have no control over, or choose who you kill and kill less frequently. Those are your only options. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have to live with it. You can't choose not to kill, but you can choose who you kill. It makes a difference. And he's like, why did you do this? And she says it was a mistake. And I'd have to watch it again. I'll watch it again when I edit it to Kelsey, I'm sure is right. And she's like, yeah, it was a mistake, meaning she did intend to do it, but she realizes in retrospect it's a mistake or she didn't mean to turn him, which is how I originally read it when I watched the movie. But now you're starting to convince me otherwise. And why him, he asks. And she says, you were dying Throughout the movie, his family's also trying to get a hold of him. His brother shows up. Yeah, his brother does show up again with with Interpol trying to get him to come Uh in. He ends up recording a message for them. It's just like, you know what? I'm sorry. You can't be near me. I can't be near you. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. You'll never see me again. And then after we get the immediate credits. 
Well, he we sh- we see that he goes after like bad guys now. He goes after like child molesters. Oh yes, he does get that guy. And he, is is this was this your phone? Is this video you recorded? Like, oh mercy, mercy! Did you sh- like you showed mercy to this little girl? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, know? here's the thing: if you are a creature that needs to eat humans, yeah. You might as well kill the bad ones, right? Yeah, you might yeah. as well go after the assholes in the world. Yep. Uh, so that's how the movie ends. We get credits. And then before the credits start rolling, so we get just the the title card credits, before the actual credits start rolling up the screen, we get another scene of people breaking into a pool to party or whatever, you know, and then they get attacked. And it turns out they're getting attacked by Cliff, who has also turned which is a fun little, like, punctuation at the end of the movie. And if they ever wanted to do an Afflicted 2, they could go hyper dramatic, and I would hate it, but they do have the material here where it's like, okay, now... He has to go stop Derek his friend. Derek has to stop his friend, yes, and maybe teach his friend. And maybe we learn more about what vampires are like in this world. And, you know, you could do it well. I'd be really worried they'd try to make it like an overdramatic action movie or whatever. Because I liked just the amount of action that we got in here. Like I said earlier, this movie does not promise a lot. And it, and it delivers. So you're not going to get a lot. But what you do get is pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, and it doesn't feel very long. It feels quite short, and it's fun, and it's interesting. I just wish they had taken the time to clarify some stuff. Yeah. I just wish that they had sat down and said, hey, let's tell the audience what the heck this means. Right, and I understand that he doesn't know, and part of the intrigue is him not knowing, but like, Allow him to get the answer. Yeah. Or ask the question. He never asks, why is it that I was turned and didn't die? What's the difference between turning and dying? Yeah. You know? And him not knowing is what leads to Cliff turning too. Yeah. And it also makes you wonder who the fuck turned her. How does she know all this Didn't shit? Didn't she say she was like 100 years old or something like that? Or Maurice said that? I don't know. We we know that she's been around at least since the 40s because we do see a picture of her looking exactly the same yeah. in the 1940s. Yeah. So that's all interesting and well and good, but I'd like to know the history there. Yeah. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? How many reviews does it have? I'd certainly never heard of this. Yeah, so about that, it... It actually only aired in like 40-something theaters. In its theatrical release, it only made like a 100 and something thousand dollars. Uh, so it didn't make its money back in its theatrical release. I imagine there's no way in hell that it hasn't made that much on streaming. But yeah, there are 30 reviews. There are 10,000 user reviews. Wow. Like that's just people that go on to Rotten Tomatoes and put their user reviews in. So if that gives you any idea of how many times people have seen this movie... I would guess that this did pretty well because it's found footage and a lot of people like found footage and it's a pretty decent found footage for but again this is the professional reviewers they're 30 so it does have a consensus um i'm gonna guess maybe like a 72 83 wow 
It isn't without its share of cliches, but Afflicted proves there's still life in the found footage horror genre. That's exactly what I was saying. Metacritic of 56. You made me think that it was going to be lower, you <laughs> jerk. Uh, the audience score is actually 57. So it has a low audience score and a low Metacritic, uh, but a high tomato meter, which it's been a while since we've mentioned this. Yes, we are aware of how Rotten Tomatoes works. The tomato meter just shows the percentage of professional reviews that left with an overall positive perception versus a negative one. So it's really a binary thing. Like, don't like. What percentage of those reviewers were like versus don't like? So 83% of reviewers liked it, but the average review was 56%. That's the Metacritic score. They didn't rate it highly, but they did like it. So I, I, that's kind of how I feel. What do you think you would give it? I'll give it a 70. I was going to give it a 73. Not quite a 75. I liked the Night Stalker a lot better. But this had some really interesting stuff. It managed to be compelling despite the fact that it's just another found footage movie. Like it says, there's still life left in the found footage genre. There's still things to do with it. It's basically Chronicle, even though it was made around the time Chronicle was also being made or or came out. So I don't think it copied it, but it has that Chronicle feel to it. You know, just two buddies filming the fact that they now have superpowers or whatever, you know. I think it's solid. I think it's a solid movie. I think it's very decent. I think especially when you consider how low their budget was, like, it's super impressive. Yes. It's impressive what they did with it. And... Because they're really friends, it felt very real and natural, and... I thought Derek Lee did a really good job. I thought he was pretty believable. Yeah. All the different emotions he had to express, including being feral. I think, honestly, its biggest problem is that it's not very original. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, there's just, there's too many things that they just decided not to tell us. But I liked it. Yeah. I would tell people to see it. Sure, yeah. Like, if somebody asked me, hey, what are some good found footage movies, I would probably include this on the list. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Michael. These were good movies this, this week. This was a good week. Yeah. This was a fun week. Night Stalker 1972 and Afflicted 2013. But what are we watching next week, Kelsey? Okay, change of plans, because we realized that... Our next episode is going to be on the week of Friday the 13th. So we are diving deeper into the Friday the 13th franchise with Friday the 13th 3D. And I, for one, am very excited about that. To go along with it, we're going to be watching the Finnish film Lake Bodum from 2016, which is also about people camping at a lake and bad things happening to them. So get excited. We're moving on with the Friday the 13th franchise, and we're going to see Jason in the actual hockey mask. That's next week. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com. Follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery, where we post a lot of extra stuff, tons of extra stuff. As a matter of fact, we just live-tweeted two movies on Halloween. Kelsey, what two movies were they? The Devil Inside, which is no good. We did not like that. And... Summer of 84, which was okay, and then the ending just came out of nowhere. I, if, go back to that tweet thread, I wrote a lot about this, 
about how I liked it and it let me down in some ways, it really, really, really should have been like a half-season series. <laughs> they should have let the good parts breathe a little bit more. They they should have drawn out the tension a little bit more. It would have made all those beats that felt repetitive. Like, oh, now we're going to do this thing, and now we got to do this thing, and now we got to do this thing, and it's just the same thing over and over again. How many times does he hang out with that girl, and then she tells him not to do it, and then he does it anyway, and like, you know what I mean? Like, it just happens over and over again. It would feel a little bit more natural if they were separated by episode breaks. I mean, you know? look, it is totally Stranger Things combined with... Um, Rear Window or Disturbia. Disturbia. Yeah. Combined with all your favorite 80s nostalgia, which is exactly what I thought it was going to be when I first saw the trailer. But one of my friends, who I have respect for in his movie recommendations, told me to watch this. So I was like, okay. And then it was basically exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was a little more charming than I thought it would be. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And then the ending happened, and it felt like it was the ending to a different movie. Yeah, well, you said that it was written by three people at the end. and It was was directed by three people. Oh, it was directed by three people. uh Well, there you go. Like, it just felt like the ending was tacked on by a totally different either writer or director. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only thing that they directed, and they just tacked it on. But I would recommend it. I think it's good. It's a Shudder original. You can watch it on Shudder. But yeah, it's a little all over the place. It should have been longer. It should have been a, a series. As a movie, it feels too long and repetitive because they tried to cram it down into two hours. So, yeah. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter, and we live tweet stuff sometimes. Uh, don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Uh, Bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? This nut thinks he's a vampire. I don't want to be buried. Cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I'm addicted to the sacred place. This ain't a dream I can't escape. Your love is like bad medicine. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah! Right here. (laughs)